This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Two guests this week. Uh, first up, a regular on this podcast, John O'Rand from the Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal. And we have a discussion on uh, NFL viewership as uh, we uh, head to uh, the uh, almost the one-third part of the season, what we can extrapolate from the numbers, why the league is uh, absolutely uh, overjoyed at this point, even though... Um, the numbers are down. We uh, go a little bit into uh, NBA viewership, although I'm going to do a major uh, podcast coming up in the next couple of weeks on sports viewership overall. So I'll, I'll get a lot into the NBA on um, on that one. And uh, so John and I with the, some viewership talk, and then that's followed by Stan Van Gundy, the uh, former coach, of course, in the NBA, now working as an excellent analyst for Turner Sports on uh, their coverage of uh, the NBA. Stan also does some stuff for uh, NBA TV as well. And we get into uh, Stan's experience in the bubble, uh, what that was like, spending time with his brother, Jeff Van Gundy, of course, is the lead analyst on uh, ABC's uh, coverage and just uh, finished up the NBA finals. And then uh, Stan and I get into really what I thought was an excellent discussion just about um, being public about um, the nexus of sports and politics and race and social justice. Stan Van Gundy is one of the most uh, uh, public people, uh, certainly on his Twitter feed, when it comes to discussing these issues. And uh, and I was just curious about um, you know why he's been so public, how his employer sees it, um, you know, just sort of how he thinks about that 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 nexus and and that was a really interesting discussion so john oran to start and then stan van gundy coming up on the sports media podcast all right as i said at the top john Arand is a sports media reporter for the sports business daily and journal and he is kind enough to join me again he's a regular on this we're going to keep him pretty short today uh, no need to go so long with Oran. I'm sure he will be back over the next couple of weeks. So, you know, we'll try to give you like 20, 20 minutes or so of, of, uh, sports, uh, sports media talk. And, and this will not, we will not be dropping public relations names on this one, John. We're not going so deep in inside baseball. No more yeah. PR name drops. I'm tired of getting the emails from those, Richard. No, no, no more. This is very, we'll be very, very broad here. All right. So let's start with the NFL, John. Um, People loved uh, t- talking about NFL viewership. Uh, I, I apologize for laughing, but uh, like I've told this to John privately. Never in my lifetime did I think uh, sports viewership numbers would become politicized, uh, but, 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 but they have. But in this case, um, four weeks in, uh, NFL viewership is down 10% based on uh, the reporting and data from your colleague, Austin Karp. Uh, that's before the Thursday 
um, Bucks uh, game. So th- that number may actually be a little bit even further down as we're talking here. It could be like 9%, 8%. As John and I are taping, we don't have the results of Week 5 Sunday yet. And so we'll see um, how this all shakes out. But so, John, here's my thought here. Um, television executives have told you and others that like th- they are really pleased by the fact that the league is only down 10%. And I'll be honest, like, I think a lot of times, like, you know, people spin the hell out of stuff. But in this case, like, I actually think that is a fair assessment. Given the landscape, given all the sports competition, given the crazy amount of news that exists and how much cable news is up, I think if you're the NFL, the most powerful entertainment medium right now that exists on linear television, being down only 10%, I think that's a win. How do you see it? Uh, I think it's a huge win, uh, and I, I think that comparing ratings uh, for the for the NBA. I mean, you're comparing in October versus June. You're comparing in, in October against college football, the NFL, and uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, including the the Yankees in there, versus June, which is uh, going up against regular season baseball. I, I like. I, I just don't think any comparison works this year. I don't think that we're going to have a real comparison until probably 2022. Uh, but I do think that there are certain things that are really unique about the TV ratings numbers that, that are coming out now because all sports are playing. And you're, you're able to see, for me, how dominant. We've always known the NFL was the highest rated. I mean, look, the Super Bowl, what else gets 100 million uh, viewers out there? But here, we're actually seeing how dominant the NFL is up against you know, they, they had a, Sunday night, a regular season Sunday night football game against the NBA Finals and, and destroyed it. I mean, it is, so, it is so far ahead of where the NBA is. It is so far ahead of where MLB is. It's so far ahead of where uh, the NHL is. It's, it's just a different uh, TV programming stratosphere. I think that's, uh, that, that, that's been particularly interesting to, to take a look at. 100% agree. I mean, honestly, there's NFL content and then like just drop down and then disheart- then have a discussion on everything else. Um, one of the charts that was in Sports Business Daily that it's not like I didn't know this, but when you see it in chart form, John, you're like, holy shit, that is impressive. 13 of the top 15 broadcasts since March are NFL related, NFL games. The only two, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong here. The only two that beat it, the vice presidential debate and the presidential debate. So 13 of the top 15 broadcasts on television since the pandemic started, NFL programming. I mean, that that is remarkable, correct? Not just NFL programming, regular season games. Regular for NFL season games, right. And that's, that's also what's instructive about that. It's all of TV. So this trend that we, we've seen happening over the past decade, uh, maybe a little less, Live sports, live news, it's, it, it really is what matters. So people can jump up and down, and I know we're going to talk about a little bit about the NBA numbers, but, but it, it, the NBA is still bringing in more than any entertainment programming out there uh, r- right now. It's, it, it's live sports, live news matters. So despite the, the, rate, uh, the viewership dropbacks that we've seen in the NBA and, and in, in the NHL, it's still TV networks still view that as such powerful programming and they're, they're, they're going to be fine. There was something that you had in uh, one of those pieces that I thought was really interesting. I think it was probably your newsletter where you said, or you reported that the NFL's top media executive, Brian Rollup, 
um, sent a memo to teams telling them not to be overly concerned about ratings. I found that as a really good piece of reporting there, unless uh, unless that was public, but I don't think it was. But that was that's really interesting to me because obviously the NFL is very, very heightened when it comes to viewership. All of these leagues are. I mean, all of these public relations departments, uh, they know what the viewership is. They'll, they'll reach out to reporters to try to spin. Um, but I found that interesting, John, that that memo went to teams basically saying, hey, we're in an unprecedented time here. Don't freak out if, uh, you know, one of our windows is down 15, 20 percent. Yeah, and I think part of it is because everybody's going nuts. I mean, I, uh, I've been writing about TV ratings and it's been getting so many clicks on our website. I mean, people are, are so thirsty for this, not for uh, any kind of information on it. And I think that that's sort of what got the NFL to send out that memo. But like in a perfect in a normal world with no pandemic and the the sports schedule being as it usually is, the NFL was looking at taking a big step back viewership wise this season because it's it's lost viewers. It's seen its viewers drop every presidential election going back probably the last five, six elections. I, I don't have the actual stat in front of me, but it, it, that was part of the message that Rollup was giving. Like we were expecting to, uh, a drop. Uh, the drop has come, and the drop has come not just because of that, but uh, but also because of all, all the different competition. So the NFL is really hurting uh, the NBA numbers and the NHL numbers, but uh, the, the NHL numbers and the NHL uh, uh, NBA numbers are taking viewership away from the NFL too, just not not that, not as not as much. Uh, so they're just getting hurt from different areas. I think being down ten percent. It's something I know that they're uh, pretty happy with, and I, I think it's it's a pretty good number for them. So let's talk about this. Um, are do you? We are in a hyper news cycle. It's not just another presidential election. It's a it's a it's a it's an it's an insane hyper news cycle, um, which has really kind of lasted, in all honesty, for the last uh, three and a half years or so. Is there any way? Uh, not let me let me phrase that better. What is your sort of best guess over the next two months? Because while the election is, as we tape this, you know, in less than a month, the, the post-election news I don't think is going gonna, is gonna to subside. So my sense, John, would be that the, the cable news numbers from now until whenever, you know, December or so, are going to be are just going to be astronomical. I, I, I mean, who knows? I, don't even, I wouldn't even begin to predict what the news of the country will be. So if you just extrapolate that further, I would think that that's going to overshadow almost everything and any sports outside of the NFL that comes in that that time frame is going to be impacted by this. You agree? Uh, potentially, I, I think everything depends on the unknowable right now, which is will we know on November 3rd who the next president of the United States is? Uh, if we do know that, then uh, then it should uh be good for the NFL. I mean, the, the NFL should should see uh, a resurgence uh, going forward. Uh, if we don't know that, all bets are off. I mean, th- th- then we're entering territory that you, you don't have any comps at all to where you say, oh, well, back in 2000, you know, two or uh, 2000 or 2004, uh, something happened. W- one other thing to keep, uh, keep in mind is that four years ago, that was, that was uh, uh, Trump's first uh, go at the White House and the news networks uh, saw such a huge uh, rise in viewership, and the NFL during that election cycle was down like 14 percent. Well, this year they're only down 10 percent, so they're actually doing better this year. Uh, and, and so, 
part of that might be, you know, the lack of undecided voters. Like pe- people have, I know so many people that have already voted. I know people that have made made up their mind four years ago about who, who they're going to vote for in, in, in this election. So the, that that may play into a part too, where they're not going into a, to, to watch as much cable news as they had in the past. So it's it's unknowable, but I, I think that there are some signs suggesting that. Uh, that college football and the NFL are going to fare okay in the next couple of months. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I want to, um, I want to do very quickly um, NBA viewership. Um, we don't have the numbers for the final game, uh, the clinching game six, uh, but it happened on a Sunday night. It went against um, Seattle, Minnesota in the NFL, which I assume will win the, win the night. And it also went against game one of the Rays versus the Astros. I, I would assume that game, compared to another league championship series, is going to tank. But, you know, we'll see when that viewership comes out. The The larger point is, John, that the NBA Finals will be down significantly um, in terms of uh, in terms of viewership, whether that number is 40% or 50%. It, it's it's going to be down for the series. Um, you can't spin it. Those are not good ratings. Uh, LeBron James is in the finals. Even if we're in a pandemic, even if we're in um, uncharted waters, uh, those were not expected numbers. Those were not good numbers. Here's the most Im- sort of to me. Here's the sort of most important thing. And um, and in a couple weeks, I'm going to do a really long sports viewership podcast with some experts, and and we'll really analyze this. No offense, John, you're not part of that. Um, <laughs> And so, so, so my thought as, and I think both, this is where me and you, me and you do not always agree on viewership, but I I am positive me and you agree on this. It is never one factor. It is always multiple factors. It's television factors. It's competition factors. Uh, Do I think there are some people who are turned off by the politics and social justice? Of course. Do I think it's a, like a statistically large, large swath? No, I do not. Others do. Um. So do you have at least some top line thoughts, John, as to um, as to NBA viewership in the bubble and the numbers that we we ultimately saw out of it? And if I had to take a guess, you know, maybe that Sunday night game finishes with like nine million viewers or something like that, where obviously in in other clinching games, we've seen like 18 million, 17 million, 19 million. Yeah, it's so I'm going to try to do a little bit of spin on this because uh, it, it is just so hard. Um, uh, the NBA playoffs uh, and the NBA finals are not held in October. There's a different. Um, there's a way, way that most uh, sports viewers, especially casual sports viewers, uh, attack the, uh, the the sports calendar. And and right now, as it's getting cooler out, you know you have. Uh, college football, you have major league baseball playoffs, and 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 you have uh, the NFL. And if anything, you're you know you have a couple of regular season basketball games. So I just think that there there are um, there's so much competition right now 
uh, there's competition from uh, from news, as we've said, from the NFL, that it is so hard to take a look at the NBA numbers and and really decide uh, how or why anything matters uh, right right now. Um, I think it's going to take a, a you know next year is going to be an abbreviated season, almost certainly. Uh, it's going to take another year to, until we get an actual comp. That said, the numbers going into the bubble, the numbers going into the pand- pandemic for the NBA were miserable this year. They were down. Uh, every, everything was down really significantly. And th- there, there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one is the, the Lakers are a primo team, but they're a West Coast-based team. So having sort of, you know, the, 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 the heat have proved to be a fun team. The Celtics are a fun team, but they didn't show that in, in the regular season. It took a while for, for people to get to know them. Having your best teams out West does is, does not translate to great ratings uh, for, for various leagues. Um, there needs to be a little bit more parity as there has been in the past. Um, and having LeBron in Miami or having LeBron in Cleveland, just giving you that, that East Coast window of a guaranteed ratings getter is, is, is so important. Um, Having uh, cord cutting is, is uh, with cable hurts the NBA completely. I mean, the, the NBA has a really good uh, demos, young, male, and those are the ones that are cutting the cord. Those are the ones that are not watching full games, and, and they're watching elsewhere. I, mean, I, I, can, I can do this. I can go. We can come up with a list of 10 reasons for why the, the ratings were down. Um, but it is something that's uh, very concerning to the, to the NBA. It's something that they're going to be taking a look at, but the, the numbers coming out of the bubble, like nobody knew what to expect them to be. Uh, they're probably lower than I, I, I would have predicted, but yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think they, uh, they, they really matter. That's interesting. Like, again, I, I think, um, yeah, I didn't expect you to do the NBA spin. So now after you, you throw me off here, um, I, I you know, <laughs> So, like, everything you said, like, to me is is correct. And, again, I don't want to go so deep into this because I'm really going to do, like, an hour-plus podcast on on sports viewership. But I, I, they have a viewership problem at the moment, and they can't ignore that. And some of the things that cause the viewership problem, I think, are a little bit self-inflicted, including their absolutely fucking shitty response to China that start. That said, if you're going to be honest and if you're going to do good faith, I do agree with John this is such an outlier year. You can't do specific apples to apples comparisons on everything. And they, there are real things that are on court things that I think if they change, I think can be a jump. I'll tell you one thing, John, that I've always said this. I, I talked to Austin Karp and, uh, and Anthony Krupe about this. And I know you'll appreciate it because you're someone who loves to look at sort of local ratings to, to, to get a better sense of what's going on nationally. The NBA is absolutely fucking killed by the fact that the Knicks and the Bulls have sucked for a long time. They get nothing out of New York and Chicago, um, both in terms of those local teams being prominent on national broadcast as well as those local markets just being into basketball. So I've always thought that if one of those two teams could just get hot and be a real factor, I think it game changes the national Ratings and so again, I don't know this to be the case, but I'll. This will be the last one I ask you on, and then we'll move to our last topic. Do you think if Brooklyn somehow becomes like a really, really great team and like sort of a really interesting team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, could they be like the East Coast flagship that the league really, really needs? 
especially in these early windows at like 7 30 8 o'clock to get a um to get a good rating or is brooklyn always going to be thought of as sort of like a you know like the way the devils are thought of viewership wise in hockey like yeah they're new york but they're not quote unquote the knicks or uh, a, a couple of things on that one is you're so right about the lack of an NBA team that, that's, that's been in New York. And that has been a problem for the NBA for how long now, right? Forever. Uh, in fact, going back to the NFL, uh, another reason that they should be so happy about this is the Jets and Giants ratings locally are doing uh, miserably uh, right now. And that's just bringing down the, the number one uh, market. That's bringing down everything else. The NFL ratings in Los Angeles. Uh, same thing, and that's the, the fact that the, that they're only down ten percent. Given that, on top of everything else, is is, is pretty huge. As for the, the 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 one thing about the NBA is that you know they do well locally. Uh, it's not like baseball that does great locally. Uh, the basketball still is a na- has a national following, uh, and basketball still is a star driven league, and I, and, and people uh, will tune in to see you know the Rockets. Uh, you know, I play. They tune in to see. Um, uh, Oklahoma City. I think they'll, you know, they'll tune in to see the Clippers uh, uh, play this season. I think they'll tune in to see the Nets with uh, Kyrie and, and, and Durant. I don't think that a Nets championship would galvanize uh, ratings in New York the way a Knicks championship would yeah, uh, for the next for the next several years. I think that you know brands matter. I think the Lakers winning is is uh, so much bigger in L.A. than the Clippers winning, uh, uh, even though the Clippers might get good ratings or the Nets might get good ratings. But, uh, uh, you know, they they don't need the Knicks to get better, but it, it would really, really help. I'll tell you, I think that Miami team is terrific, um, and they're going to be good for a while just because so how young they are. But, 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 that, but that market, John, has always just been so weird when it comes to television. Like, I, it should be a mega market just given – how many people live there, given that it's like an exciting city, given that they, they're a brand. I mean, they've, they've won championships with uh, D-Wade and LeBron, et cetera. But I'm right about that, right? Miami is just a weird, weird sports television market, correct? Uh, it, 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 they do okay. They're, they're just sort of like a mid, they, they appear to me to be sort of a mid-sized TV market. I don't think it, it's one of the one of the uh, cliches is, especially in L.A., you know, you take a look at the NFL ratings in L.A., there's so many other things to do. You know, if, if you're in yeah, a cold weather sure. city, you're more right. off to be stuck inside watching. If you're in, in uh, Miami, you know, you could go to the beach. You can, there are a ton of outdoor activities that you can do uh, in addition to watching TV, which tends to hurt ratings a little bit. Yeah, you're right. You're, 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 competing, against, uh, you're competing against outdoor activity, which makes uh, West Palm which is always like the number one market, always funny, but that must be just more uh, senior citizens or elderly people perhaps who are watching TV. But West, because West Palm is always, right? Isn't West Palm always like based on the 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 market and size of the city very, very high in terms of uh, TV? Yeah, that's not the demo anybody wants though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the NBA <laughs> demo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
All right. So let's finish up on this. You had a piece on um, uh, talking to all your buddies at ESPN, John, about uh, ABC now being back in the sports game, at least as a place where ESPN can simulcast some of its uh, some of its inventory. Um, and I think that's really smart, particularly on baseball. You know, like, uh, you know, baseball struggles nationally, certainly in the early rounds, to get viewership. And if you could pop one of those games on ABC, you know, you bring in you bring in a network. If you sort of extrapolate this, John, and sort of further it on, this is also clearly the the argument that ESPN is going to make to a place like the NFL, where it's like, hey, if we can get in your Super Bowl rotation, we're actually not ESPN. We're ABC slash ESPN, and we can bring you, you know, the 100 million homes. But I've always thought that, like, I, I think ESPN, um, for a long time, I think they're changing up now, they, they really didn't use ABC. Um, to their benefit. And I'm sure obviously that had to do with Disney and I'm sure that had to do with pro, you know, scripted programs were the, were the, you know, the sort of the way of the world, uh, until recently. But this feels like, uh, if nothing else, this feels like something that could really be a little bit of a game changer when it comes to viewership, at least in certain, certain events. Do you agree? Yeah. It happened a couple of times, you know, it's close, close to being a trend here. I, I think you so th- there have been sports on on ABC where you have uh, Sunday afternoon NBA basketball, you have uh, college football Saturday nights. Uh, so that they have stripped out some um, windows for it. What I found to be interesting about this is that in the, the, the um, Monday night football game that opened the Las Vegas stadium, you know, th- was simulcast across ABC and and ESPN. You know that that hadn't happened before. Then we just saw with the uh, the wild card round and, and the uh, baseball playoffs, you know, ABC was part of that rotation. And what had happened in the past is ABC as a broadcast network uh, had a different audience generally than, than ESPN. ESPN was a, a young male audience and ABC was a, a much more female audience that uh, the ABC uh, executives thought would not watch sports a lot. So it became a place that, you know, it, it ESPN struggled uh, in a lot of ways to find windows that would work on, on ABC. And what we're seeing now is, and we're going right back to what I said earlier, news and live sports is what's holding the whole TV business together. And, and you're seeing ABC be, being much more open and welcome to having, you know, live baseball on in its afternoon, uh, afternoon hours or having an NFL game that's going to be simulcast on, a, on a, you know, two other channels. ESPN2 as well had it. Well, you know, they, they found a, a window for it on, on ABC. And so th- this is just something to keep an eye on. As ESPN goes out and negotiates new rights deals, uh, as they try try to send a message to the NFL that they want to get, get back in the Super Bowl rotation and they want to be able to uh, keep Monday Night Football, uh, ABC increasingly it looks like is going to be playing a part in them. Interesting, Jaws. Is there anything else uh, you want to hit on before we uh, get out of here? Um, what else is good? <laughs> Let's keep it short and sweet, Rich. Yeah. You, I, by the way, the, the I like the uh, you know how this your your employer sports business uh, uh, journal has when you guys do podcasts like those primers. Don't you keep it to like seven minutes or something like that? You guys you guys are good at that. Like you're able to do a lot of cover a lot of stuff in a very brief amount of time. Yeah, you know we we kind of feel like nobody wants to listen much more than twenty minutes. So to, that, that that's that's a commitment. So we just kind of want to get in and get out. No, well, I, my next podcast is going to be about two and a half hours, so there you go. I'm blowing, I'm blowing your, your thesis. <laughs> Talking about sports ratings, 
Yeah, it's going to be the. I'm, I'm, my goal is to make it the longest sports viewership podcast in history, which shouldn't be that hard to do. <laughs> John O'Rand is the media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal. Check out his work uh, at that publication and on Twitter. And uh, he has uh, he's part of the excellent uh, newsletter writers that uh, SBJ has. So check out uh, his. When is that? Tuesday, John? Tuesday and Friday, or something like that? Monday, Wednesday, Rich. Monday. I could not have been more wrong. Monday and Wednesday yeah, is, uh, is John's dates. All right, John, thank you as always. Hey, man, thanks. Good to be on. All right, as I said at the top, Stan Van Gundy is an NBA analyst for Turner, TNT, and NBA TV as well. Uh, any basketball fan knows he's the former uh, coach of the Pistons, the Magic, and the Heat. And I'm pleased to be joined by Stan Van Gundy on the Sports media podcast. Stan, first of all, thank you for being here and congrats. You're officially out of the bubble back into the universe. How does it feel? Oh, it felt great. Uh, you know, the games were great. Uh, broadcasting them was a lot of fun, but uh, the bubble gets a little boring after a while. Uh, and, and it was for me, what was hard is, you know, I was 40 minutes from my house, but stuck down there. So um, it, it seemed like, uh, so close, but yet so far. So I am, uh, I'm glad to be home. I, I can imagine. I want to ask you a couple of questions to just to start about broadcasting inside there. I, I've talked to, um, I've talked to both play-by-play people as well as reporters, uh, Mike Breen, Malika Andrews of ESPN happened to be the uh, previous guest on this podcast. And they all sort of have different experiences regarding the challenges of being inside the bubble and the challenges of reporting and the challenges of broadcasting in your position being an analyst um you're in an empty arena you're separated most likely by some kind of plexiglass with your play-by-play partner so these are very you know unprecedented uh uh, you know an unprecedented situation for an analyst what 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 was that specific experience like for you calling games inside that arena and what did you find to be the biggest challenge versus what you have normally been used to as a broadcaster Well, I think the good thing for me, Richard, was, you know, I hadn't done that many games before. I I don't know. Ian and I had maybe done 10 games this year before the, maybe not even that many, uh, before the lockdown. So I hadn't done a lot. And I think that made it easier because I didn't have a big adjustment. I didn't have a lot of experience. Um, What I did see as the challenges um, were, number one, for me, I can pick up a lot of what's going on on the court when I'm down courtside. I can hear coaches call, you know, talking to their players. I can hear play calls, things like that. Couldn't do any of that um, up above. Um, and then I thought the biggest challenge, but this was more for the play-by-play guys, was trying to bring um, the energy and emotion to the broadcast. And I worked with three guys, Ian Eagle, Spiro Didis, and, and Brian Anderson, and they all did a great job of that. And I, but I thought that was hard because especially in the playoffs, there's great energy in an NBA arena. And we were working in an environment where it was very sterile, where there was no energy whatsoever. And those guys had to bring the emotion to the broadcast. Stan, before I get to something else, um, I've, uh, uh... I did a piece not too long ago for The Athletic um, with Ian Eagle, Charles Davis, Evan Washburn, and Ian had told me that he had 
at that time, I think it was 138 different uh, partners over uh, over all the sports he had worked. So obviously, you'd be on that list. The thing about Ian that I'm just so impressed by is that it he he seems to find immediate chemistry with his analyst, um, regardless of sport, regardless of gender, regardless of who that analyst is. From your perspective as the analyst. Um, why do you think that is? What What is it about? You've worked with other play-by-play people, but what is it about Ian where he seems to be able to make it work regardless of who the analyst is? Yeah, I think it, it's pretty simple to me is Ian is the ultimate team player. You know, I haven't been around sports for a long time and coach, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, put the team first. Uh, you want unselfish people. And that's Ian uh, in a nutshell. Like, Ian is not trying to go on a broadcast and promote Ian. Ian is trying to make the broadcast as good as it can possibly be. Uh, And that's all that he cares about. And so when all you care about is the success of the broadcast, it's going to make it pretty easy. And then the second thing I think about Ian, I've said this, Many times, uh, again, the basketball analogy is, you know, we talk about the great players that what separates them is they make the people around them, the players around them better. And I know firsthand that, that Ian does that. You know, he makes everybody around him better. Look, I had virtually no experience. I had done some college games um, over uh, – you know, period of time before I had gone to Detroit and a little bit um, last year, uh, I, I had done exactly one NBA game on TV before uh, I worked with Ian this year. And he just helped me so much. I mean, number one, he set you up on the broadcast. The number two, you know, he really mentored me. I mean, he helped me. He, he taught me, you know, he wasn't afraid to, tell me what I was doing wrong in a very encouraging way always, but you know, to, you know, do this, don't do that. I mean, just always concerned about making me better. So um, yeah, he, he's an outstanding person to work with uh, the ultimate team guy. Stan, I realize that, um, you know, certainly challenges of being in the bubble, you're away from home. Um, there's unfamiliarity. But one thing that was unique to you is that your brother was in the bubble. Jeff, everybody certainly listening to this podcast knows Jeff is um, is on the top ESPN team calling the uh, NBA, calling the NBA Finals. And I read that I read a New York Times piece, which was pretty cool about sort of how you had spent time with the with Jeff and you guys would see each other every day. Um, that's not an experience, you know, at, given your age and Jeff's age, that might normally happen in the course of normal times. So I would sense for you that if, if there was at least one pretty positive thing about being in the bubble, it was a chance to spend as much time with Jeff on a day-to-day basis that you would, you know, in normal times not be doing because you guys live in different cities. That's exactly right. I and mean, he lives in Houston. I live here in the Orlando area. We talk it's not every day pretty close to it. I mean, we're very, very close, but we don't get that many opportunities to see each other. Um, so the chance to just simply get up and, and walk for an hour, hour and 15 minutes uh, in the mornings when we were down there in the bubble was, uh, was really a privilege and certainly made the experience uh, 
much better for me. You know, as much as I missed being at home and miss my wife, um, at least I was able to to see my brother, who I don't get as much chance to see. When Jeff is, when you and Jeff are walking outside, is um, is Jeff calling out if he sees any referees? Is he is he getting on their case if they're walking outside with Jeff? Would like to know if is this, does it continue off? <laughs> does it continue off air? Is what I'm asking you, Stan. Well, you know what? We're actually in a different bubble. So the players, the referees, and the sideline reporters, the people who come in contact with players and coaches, were in one bubble. And then those of us doing broadcasts, both the on-air people and the crews, were in an entirely different place. So we didn't actually uh, run into any of the referees or anything. But that's a funny question. And and would have been good to see Richard if we actually did. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I um, you um, you are you are one of the uh, rare um, media people, Stan, broadcast media people who has worked for both ESPN and Turner. Uh, of people who don't know, Stan was at ESPN for a year. He was um, he was doing mostly studio work. Then joined Turner last year, where he got a. Um, you know, just a, a schedule of games and was able to call prominent NBA games. I, Stan has talked about sort of why he made that move, and I, I think I'm paraphrasing correctly that the, the the Turner offer in terms of scheduling and stuff was better. I am um, curious, though, Stan, because you are in this position. Um, what, what, what are the similarities between working at ESPN and Turner? And then what, perhaps more interestingly, what are the differences between working at ESPN and Turner? Wow. I, you know what? I, I think that would be probably a pretty individual thing. Um, I, I can just say from my experience, and it's probably as much as anything from, um, you know, being very low on the totem pole at uh, ESPN when I was there, and they didn't really have a defined role for me. Um, I, I thought there this year has been a... Um, a far more uh, personal interest taken in me and my development in broadcasting at Turner than, than there was at ESPN getting a uh, lot of feedback um, that has helped make me uh, better. They're interested in, you know, trying to find a schedule that fits. Uh, you know, I, I just, the personal attention has been more and, and I'll, and I'll tell you a huge difference for me. Um, and some people will look at it positively, maybe some people negatively, uh, but Turner encourages us, uh, to be able to speak out on, on issues that are of importance to us and social issues where, you know, ESPN actively discourages it. Um, you know, to the point of actually not discouraging it, forbidding it until, until it became sort of more acceptable to do it. Then ESPN was all in on the social justice movement. But anybody who's followed him knows that, um, you know, Jimmy Pitaro right from the top has, has actively discouraged people speaking out in favor of social justice um, and against racial injustice and things like that. Um, and Turner, it's uh, 180 degrees the other way. So that part has been important to me. All right. So let's talk about that. I'm glad you brought that up. And you are correct. Jimmy Pitaro, um, to use the expression, made a business decision um, when he took over to, um, just so people know, 
to have a better relationship with the NFL and align himself particularly with that league. Of course, that league was going through a lot of things with Colin Kaepernick. And Pitaro made it very clear that he did not want his uh, on-air talent to be discussing any kind of nexus of politics and sports, politics and social justice, and really made it clear that he, he, that was not acceptable, especially um, online. Certainly, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who would say that was a smart business decision. There are others who would say, you know, why do you hire commentators to be honest with their thoughts and then, um, and then not let them do that? But as Stan said, he is absolutely correct. That entire thing has changed 180 as of the last couple of months um, because the ESPN, I would argue, was forced to cover this and forced to change their POV because the world around them changed. It's a little bit of a filibuster, but that sort of brings me into where um, where I want to go here with Stan. Um, Stan, I think anybody who's who works in good faith um, would have to acknowledge that the nexus of sports and politics and the nexus of sports and race has always existed. For those who say um, that there's no politics in sports and no and no race in sports, you're honestly lying to yourself. You just don't know the history of, of the United States of America when it comes to sports. That said, one of the things I, I really appreciate about you, and I think my audience knows this, and I'll certainly say it again, I think we share the same POV when it comes to the, to the current administration. Um, you have been very public on social media about how you feel about the Trump administration, about how you feel about uh, institutional racism in this country. And um, I think what I've found just really interesting is that um, you, you, you have done this from the beginning of your Turner uh, uh, tenure, and you do it sort of unapologetically. So, so let's, get, let's get into that. Did you, did you ever have a discussion with Turner to tell them that, like, I have things I, that are important to me and I'm going to say this? Or have you just done this and, like you said a couple minutes ago— Turner sort of is just accepting of this as sort of institutionally. Yeah, I think I just knew that going into, I mean, you know, obviously I have, I have watched Turner, uh, you know, watched him in, in basketball in particular, but baseball also, you know, I've watched their studio shows. I've watched NBA TV. I've watched, you know, Turner broadcasts. And so I, I've heard plenty of, uh, social comments, maybe not to the degree that you hear them now, but certainly have heard them in the past and, you know, never seen anybody get fired. So I sort of knew that going in, but to be quite honest, Richard, I'm not sure that it would have mattered a whole lot to me. I'm in the enviable position. And look, I understand this is a total position of privilege that not everybody has. Um, but I can easily afford being fired. So even if it did come down to where it cost me my job, these things are important to me and I would choose speaking out on them over my job. Uh, look, because I'm going to be honest, I, I, I think that any employer, and this goes for ESPN, everything else, I pointed out their policies, but any employer has the right to say, you know, no, you're not going to express your opinions on my dime. I mean, if you own a business, you want to control the message that, that goes out from your business, whether you're the owner of a team or, you know, you run a network or whatever. So I certainly think they have the right to do that. I don't think anybody owes us the right to 
speak out without any uh, ramifications for our careers. I, I don't. They can do that and have every right to. But um, for me, if that if it came to that, I would simply choose then not to work. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's an old New York expression. You know, it's good to have fuck you money, basically. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. The so in. Um, in getting into that a little bit, do you let me ask you a couple questions. Where do you stand on the what feels like um I don't know if hypocrisy is the right word, but it's certainly a little bit alarming where on the one hand NBA owners have absolutely supported the players in terms of um messaging on the court, in terms of uh supporting players uh, freely speaking their mind about things after and before games, yet when it comes to their uh, political POVs, they're donating to candidates and campaigns that would seem to go directly against what the players are talking about and what and the players' interests. This is not every NBA owner, but but there are certainly a lot of NBA owners out there. Yeah, I don't really see it as hypocrisy. I'm going to defend the owners a little bit here. I think it's disappointing to me that that people who are working closely uh, with people of color and hearing their stories, maybe they don't hear them enough. Maybe they aren't close enough to the players. Um, It's disappointing that they would continue to hold the views that they have, but I don't see it as hypocrisy in this sense, Richard. I, I, I think you certainly have the right to have one point of view and support somebody else's right to speak out on a different point of view. And so I think it's, that's okay. I I personally am in the same place um, a lot of the time. I certainly don't favor blatant hate speech, but I'm pretty liberal, I think, in my thoughts. But I'm a big free speech advocate, and I'm not trying to shut down uh people on the rights, you know, ability and their right to speak. I, I don't, I don't believe in that. I, I think that everybody has the right to speak out. And, and look, when I was in Detroit, I worked for Tom Gores as an owner. I think Tom probably leans a little right of center. He's certainly not a far right guy. Um, but Tom never had a problem or at least never told me to, to stop speaking out. I mean, I went on a pretty, uh, pretty loud rant, uh, the day after the 2016 election. And, you know, I heard, I heard nothing other than, you know, we support your right to speak out. So I, you know, I applaud the owners for, for doing that. Now, the ones who come out, I think where you may be talking about hypocrisy, where certain owners have come out and, not only supported the players, but supported the positions themselves, you know, like claim to be allies of say the black lives matter movement and all of that. And then we know that their money doesn't support that. That's hypocrisy, but saying, I believe this, but I'm going to support your right to speak out otherwise. And I will have your back on that. I think that's a lot of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's fair. I think there's, and again, I, I, anyone can support any candidate. I absolutely uh, respect that, even if I dislike your candidate. I guess for me, where 
where what bothers me is sort of like someone like Stephen Ross, who of the Dolphins, who sort of um, who who preaches one thing, who who seems to support one thing, and then is um, and then is fundraising for the president of the United States, uh, or at least hosting dinners. But whatever. This again, that's um, that's sort of my POV. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It just makes it my POV. One of the um, one of the things that's interesting, Stan, is you worked for the DeVos family um, when you were. Um, when you were coaching the Magic, and Betsy DeVos, of course, is um, uh, heads up uh, the Secretary of Education in the, in the United States. Uh, I read somewhere that um, that you didn't think your that that you said your criticism was not rooted at, at all in any experience working for the DeVos family, but you have been very very clear about how you feel about Betsy DeVos as a as a uh, education secretary, and I wonder. Um, just sort of, again, what has it been like for you to be critical of, of, of a family that you used to work for? Well, I didn't know them well, so I think that makes it a little bit easier. I, I, you know, I, I saw you know, Richard Sr. Uh, more than anybody because they wintered in West Palm and then would, would come up to games. But you know, it was a quick hello before the game, and, and that was about it. Um, I knew when I took the job in the Orlando in Orlando that the DeVosses were conservative. I know they had I the, the one position I knew they took that was in opposition to my beliefs is I knew they had um stood against uh gay marriage here in uh Florida, um going all the way back to the Anita Bryant days. Um but to be honest, the DeVos family is not very active politically in Florida at all. Um, they don't really spend a lot of time here. Like I said, they spend their, you know, Rich Sr. and Helen spent, you know, their winters in West Palm, but home to them was, was Grand Rapids, Michigan. And that's where they are really involved. And I knew nothing about their politics in the state of Michigan. Then I go to Detroit and take the job and you hear about the DeVosses all the time. I mean, they have been absolutely um, a major force in the destruction of public schools in Michigan, um, a very promoted, a very right wing agenda in the state, uh, have thrown a lot of money at Republican politicians there promoting what I would deter, what I would think are regressive policies and and quite honestly, my wife and I would say to each other all the time, like, it's embarrassing that we worked for these people uh, and, and mainly in what they've done to public education. And then to have Betsy DeVos, who I've never met. I know her husband. I know Dick, but I've never met her. But to have her as secretary of education, um, as someone who has really sought to privatize all education. I mean, absolutely against public education of any kind anywhere in this country um, is abhorrent to me. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 
couple more, Stan, before uh, before I let you go here. The um, what we have seen so far um, in the pandemic, um, sort of say outside the NFL, which is uh, you know, which is always going to be its sort of own uh, universe and outlier is sports viewership numbers, generally speaking, have been down. Um, when it, uh, you know, you take something like the NHL, uh, m- you know, 60% down, uh, massively down. Golf tournament, U.S. Open down. If, again, w- if you want to have an honest conversation, as I try to do on this podcast with sports viewership experts, it's never one factor. It's multiple factors. It's the time of the year with a calendar shift for sports fans. It's sports competition going up against um, – uh, other competition. It's the uh, incredible, uh, you know, hyper uh, news cycle where we see all the cable news networks numbers um, skyrocketing. And there probably also is something where there's potential for people to have gotten a little bit of sports fatigue because there's so much sports going on now, as well as the fact that you um, you now have a lot of people in homes because of COVID and the television gets... Uh, gets shared. So there's no sort of spinning this any anywhere other than the the, the viewership numbers for um, conference finals and NBA finals stand have are way, way down. And the um, the NBA finals uh, we're taping this before the conclusion of it, but unless it goes to game seven and unless something maybe say dramatically changes, the likelihood is it's gonna be the lowest viewed NBA finals in thirty plus uh, years for sure. Um, so two part question for you, Stan. One, what are your sort of overall thoughts on where you see the current popularity of the, of the NBA? And two, do you have any thoughts as to why you think viewership is down in 20, specifically in 2020 for the league? Yeah, I I think it's hard. And I think you would agree with this, Richard. It's really hard to read into, you know, the numbers in a, in this really different environment of the pandemic into anything that's going to carry over one way or another. Um, if, and when things get back to normal, you know, like you said, there are so many factors. Uh, I also think, you know, with basketball and hockey, it's you're playing when nobody is thinking, I mean, this isn't the time of year, like your, your sports clock is off. You know, we're, we're playing basketball when, you know, I mean, we would be in training camp right now, for God's sake. So that part of it is is weird. I also think what people um, haven't totally understood is the connection between people in the arena and people watching on TV. Um, the excitement of people going to games, never, number one, creates more energy and vitality in a broadcast. And that does carry over number two, you know, if it's a normal year, I'm living in Orlando. And even if I didn't go to the games, my neighbors went to the games, people are talking about it. It raises my interest in turning on Orlando magic games. And which also then raises my interest in turning on games in general. I think people have underestimated the, effect of fans not being at the games on the popularity of broadcasts. I think there's a big connection there. Um, I think specifically to the NBA, I don't 
think the popularity is down. I think whenever they're back to having fans, um, it will happen. And, and I think probably viewership in the conference finals and the finals being down is probably also attributable to the fact that I haven't been broadcasting those games. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I didn't want to mention, I didn't want to mention <laughs> the mean, obvious reason. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I was hoping I wouldn't have to say it, that you would say it, but you know, Hey, I mean, I like, it's probably a minor factor, but let's not negate it totally. Yeah, no, I think I, I think that's fair, Stan. And I hope, by the way, that your listeners understand I'm kidding when I say that. Of course. Some of your listeners may not know me, but I am definitely kidding when I say that. The, um, I, you know, I, forgetting about those who are going to politicize this for the sake of their own audience and, and for the sake of... Uh, you know, for the sake of that, it's 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 sort of a very easy culture war play. So let's just pretty free on both sides. Let's forget about that. Do, in your opinion, understanding where your political uh, POV lies, do you think that the mixture of of politics and race and messaging for the NBA, which far and away I think has been a leader in this stuff, do you think any of that has turned off any any fans any? Viewers, I have my own thoughts on this, but I'll I'll be curious what you have to say. I, I'd be surprised if it, if it's turned anybody off from watching in any significant way. Now, that's not to say that there's maybe a lot of fans who don't like it, um, but I remember, you know, as, as you do, and you know the numbers better than I do. Um, you know, when this sort of thing sort of got started with Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, and you know you'd read all this stuff and hear all this stuff. I'm never watching the NFL again as their viewership and attendance and everything went up. Um, and, and so people will continue to p- complain and may not like it, but if you love basketball, you're going to, you're going to watch regardless. And if you don't, you're not going to watch. I, I don't think there's any significant effect on ratings whatsoever. It may affect people's experience with the game, but I don't think it affects whether or not they watch. Yeah. And again, I would say it, it, it certainly, um, I would never argue that there are people who don't like it. Um, I think they're there. I think it's an honest answer to say, I don't like this stuff mixing with my sports. The real question is how many people statistically are using that as the reason not to watch. And I sometimes just for fun, like that, I've certainly written this many times, you know, if you want to sort of go on the whole thesis that you are not watching the NFL because you feel like these players have been lecturing to you on this. Well, so you, you <laughs> to sort of, to sort of buy that kind of premise, the Bucks and Saints game draws like 23 million. So because it's a great game, you've decided to watch the NFL, but then the Thursday night football team between the Browns and Jets you're telling me that you didn't watch because you're upset about the NFL's uh, politicization. Yeah, right. So, you know, it's just, it's a nonsense take. You, 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 you. If you truly are a true believer in this, you're not watching the league. You're not cherry picking games and then deciding later on. Well, you know, I don't like the messaging here, so I'm not going to watch a crappy game. So, generally speaking, I'm with you. I think there are 20 factors and 10 factors. That certainly could be a factor. I, I just do not believe it is a statistically um, dominant factor. The uh, the last one I want to ask you is this. This this was something that, you know, it's in the in the wave of um, 
in the wave of tweets that we get on a daily basis. It's very rare that a tweet sort of stops me and I think to myself, wow, that's a pretty ballsy tweet from a broadcaster or from a media person to say. And for you a couple weeks ago, Stan, it was, you talked about what, I'm paraphrasing here, basically the saddest thing about the Trump presidency for you, you, you said, and again, this is these are your thoughts, that it was finding people who you liked and who you knew and who you respected, including people in the league, including people you coached with, who were supporting someone you believe is racist and narcissistic and uh, misogynistic. Um, do you remember tweeting that? I'm not going to ask you who you're referring to in the league, but I, I, I don't know. I was sort of struck by that because it's one thing to sort of say what you feel, but it's another thing when you personalize it to talk about your relationships and the people around you and how that's really disappointed you. Because I do think, um, I do think there's probably a lot of people who share your sentiment if, if they're people who don't particularly like this president. Yeah, but I, I want to make a couple of points. Number one, I, I think that tweet um, probably resonated with people more um, on an emotional level than anything that I've sent out, um, you know, because I do think a lot of people have gone through that. But but the part, I the only thing I, you know, regret a little bit, and it's hard on Twitter because you're limited in space, but, you know, I didn't make the distinction between Trump voters and Trump supporters. And, and I, 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 you know, to me, that's important. So I understand that there are people out there who will say, yeah, this guy drives me crazy. I know he's a racist and I don't like his comments about women, but I just think overall Republican policies are better for our country than democratic policies. I get that. And those aren't the people that I'm talking about. It still may disappoint me a little because of my own point of view, but I don't look at them personally any differently. I'm talking about the people who think this guy is great, who support him no matter what he does. And so he can say in a debate about the Proud Boys, stand back and stand by, and they think that's great. Um, that he can tell people, don't worry about the uh, coronavirus, and people think that's great. That, those are the people that I know that support him. I mean, really support him. Those are the people I'm talking about. And it disappoints me because those people are saying to me, I share Donald Trump's values. That's different for me than just making a choice in terms of voting, a, a lot different. Because certainly over my lifetime, Richard, and I'm sure most people can say the same, I will vote for people that I don't share a lot of their values, but I think that overall, they're just a better person to vote for in that race. And I, I think there's a huge difference that's who I meant to be talking about. I didn't make that clear in that tweet, and and I regret that a little bit. I, I appreciate you spelling it out. And, I, and again, I'm someone who's voted. I voted GOP in my life. Uh, I voted Democratic in my life. And so I do. It, I, I appreciate you sort of saying that because, at least for me, I'm only speaking for me, a lot of what I feel is very specific to a singular person in a singular administration. And um, so I, I can... I can relate to the sort of the sentiment of what that 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 tweet was because I certainly have some friends and family members who, um, 
yeah, who I'm just stunned that they support something that, at least in my experience with them personally, is not something I, I thought they supported. Um, and, you know, we'll see, Stan, how many people I lose on this uh, podcast. Well, no, Richard, like, for me, it's, it's been personalized, um, you know, with my dad. My dad's 85 years old right. um, and very, very conservative in his, in his politics. And he'll openly acknowledge disgust at the things that Donald Trump voices, um, you know, on racial issues. Um, you know, my dad voted for Amendment 4 in Florida to restore the right to, to vote to people who have finished their sentences. I mean, my dad is has solid values in terms of racial justice and equal rights and things like that. But my dad at the same time can never bring himself to vote democratic or very, very rarely. So he'll either have to vote for whoever the Republican candidate is, or in the case of Donald Trump, he'll have to vote third party, um, which doesn't make sense to me, but I that's different. I mean, I know that my father does not, you know, share the values of racism and xenophobia and those things. He's making a political decision based on other issues that he thinks are important. Um, as much as I can argue with that, I, I can't personalize that. And I don't have, doesn't change my feelings at all for my father. Um, but it's, like I say, it's the people who support all the stuff he says, you know, he's right. Uh, That stuff. No, I I don't have sympathy for that. I, I still support your freedom to express it, but yeah, it changes my views of you as a person. And I probably don't want to spend time dealing with you quite honestly, if those are the values that you hold dear. Stan Van Gundy is a NBA analyst for Turner Sports and um, an NBA TV. He's always uh, he's always interesting to listen to uh, when he's on a broadcast. And um, and as I've said, I think in print as and certainly on this podcast, I appreciate him. Um, I just appreciate him being uh, as forthright and honest as uh, in his feelings on on how he feels about the state of the country. Obviously, we share a POV on a lot of that stuff, so I don't want to bullshit you uh, who are listening. At the same time, it is something I respect because it's not something you see a lot of broadcasters do. Stan, I wish you nothing but uh, continued success in broadcasting. Thanks for giving me a little bit of uh, time today, and welcome back home. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. All right, back in the studio to wrap up. My thanks to John O'Rand and Stan Van Gundy for their insights and for their um, their conversation. If you like these kind of discussions, if you like this kind of content, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives. Leave us a, a five-star review and a nice note, if you could, on those reviews. That's how the podcast continues. The archives, uh, at least the latest ones, have ESPN's Malika Andrews on reporting four months inside the NBA bubble. Prior to that, uh, writing critically on Kobe Bryant with uh, Jeff Perlman, the author of uh, Three Ring Circus, and Donovan Bennett on the differences between U.S. and Canada sports media. Jim Trotter and Steve Weish of NFL Media were freak, were uh, recent guests on this podcast, along with Kavitha Davidson and Jessica Luther. 
broadcaster Renee Paquette, better known as Renee Young in the WWE. You can check her episode out there. For that, Tanya Ganguly of the LA Times, ESPN's Holly Rowe, ESPN's Stefano Fasaro on being parts of uh, their bubble. James Andrew Miller was a guest, and uh, just J.A. Donde. Just you can go through the archives and uh, hopefully find something that you like. My producers again are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Thanks to everybody Cadence 13 from Chris Corcoran to Spencer Brown to John McDermott. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.